together. Let me share with you kind of what we're about. We do this every week, and this is on purpose, because this is the story of Scripture. These three things that we believe, it's all from Isaiah 61. It's the story of what happens when God preaches to the brokenhearted and he gives sight to the blind and set captives free and then he starts turning this into to people who are righteous. We're like oaks of righteousness. Our roots grow deep and feed on good things and we start producing incredible fruit in our life. That's the story of scripture and this is this, this movement is really important for you to understand, so this is why I take the time every week to explain this. The first read with me is hope beyond our brokenness. Like you are welcome here right now. No matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've done, you are welcome here. And you're not stuck in that story. The story that Jesus has for you is a story of hope. Fear says the future is going to be terrible and you're alone and God's not there and everything's going to fall apart. Hope says that Jesus has already prepared good things for you. He's scheming to bless you. That's hope. Second, we believe that we are called to, read with me, trust in our risen Savior. We're not called to believe an idea. We're not called to bring a mental assent to a, a particular truth that's out there in the ether. We're called into a relationship. Believe or, or faith is the same word as trust in the Greek. And trust is, is a great translation of that word of believe or faith because it's, it centers that idea within a relationship. You and I have a relationship with a living, breathing human being named Jesus who also happens to be the God of the universe. So our Savior is not way out there like that horrible Bette Midler song, right? God is watching us at a distance. Wrong, right? Jesus is alive, risen, right here, present with us. And so to engage with him is to trust him. It's to be honest with him. It's to be vulnerable with him. It's to listen to him. It's to place the weight of our life on him just like we trust a brake pedal. By pressing it, we trust God by... Engaging with him, listening to him. Third, read with me. We call to bring restoration. So you and I have, are invited into this wild, amazing, incredible, fun, scary, adventurous journey called the kingdom of God. And so our children and our youth and our adults, we all get a chance to be able to bring restoration right where you are and so Stuart gave the bucket a couple of weeks ago, and if you talk with Lori, she'll tell you how imperfect he is, and, uh, and Lori's his wife, and don't call Ian their son, um, but, and so, so Stuart didn't wait to become perfect before he obeyed God and got this picture of how to give this money away, and all of this is just a shameless attempt to help you do the same. Who, who raised their hand? Who's giving away the change this week? Summer. Okay, so Summer, you're 13? Summer's 12. Summer's 12 years old, and she says, I'm going to obey God. I'm going I'm to bring, I'm going I'm to go make a difference in my community, in my school, in my neighbors. So if Summer can do it, you can do it. Amen? 
So each one of those ideas has a choice. Let's read this together just like we do every week. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God, choosing to be changed by Jesus, choosing to seek Jesus first, and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection. So today we're still in the book of John. We will be all throughout the summer. And today is an amazing conversation. It's the first of several long conversations that Jesus has with people in the book of John. And Jesus is having this conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus' desire is to live an amazing life. That's why you all scraped and saved and figured out how to end up on the Central Coast, right? Or how to stay here on the Central Coast. Amen? How many people are refugees from Los Angeles area? Right. So, so you, you've made it, right? You know, like, right? Like all these other people are drowning down there and somehow, some way you made it here. So we want to live the good life. How many of you are refugees from Bakersfield or from the Central Valley? And, yeah. Any, anybody from Oildale? Right. Yeah. Sweet. Right. Any, any refugees from, from the Bay Area, from, from, from North? Yeah, a couple, okay. Yeah, you made it, right? You got here. And that's what Nicodemus wants. He wants to live the good life, but Nicodemus, does, he wants more. He wants to have his life like drenched with God's presence. I mean, that's why we're here, right? We want more. Jesus is going to have a really interesting conversation with Nicodemus about what that looks like. So the temptation that you and I are going to face when we read this story and we listen to the sermon is we're going to look at our neighbor or our spouse and we're going to think of people in our life and we're going to go, man, they really need to hear this message. <laughs> and what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to say, this message is for me. To apply it to yourself right now. It would be terrible if you missed this today. Can I pray? Heavenly Father, protect this time. We bind up everything and silence everything opposed to Jesus that would be seeking to interfere with this time now by the strong and powerful name of Jesus and by his precious blood. Father, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would, would come in power and presence and that by your word you'd divide our soul from spirit or that you would, you would cut to the quick and the core of what is holding us back, that you would set us free that today would be a day of freedom, today would be a day of change and transformation, that today would be a day of restoration and healing. Lord, help us, protect us, put your big angels all around us, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and all God's precious, beloved sons and daughters say. Amen. Read with me, John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So Jesus is doing miracles, right? He's healing people, blind people are coming to see, lame people are walking, deaf people, are, their ears are opening, all these incredible things are happening. So, you know, anytime, if, if, if you and I were to go to the Strawberry Festival and, and then there's this massive crowd around this guy and this guy is giving free health care and, right, all the issues that you have in your life, they're just gone in an instant, that would be... You'd go, right? Who here wants more doctor's appointments? No, nobody, right? We'd run. We'd go. Okay. 
24, read with me. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. How interesting. These are people who are believing in Jesus. These are people who are coming to Jesus. These are people who are trusting in Jesus, who are seeking Jesus out, and Jesus is not entrusting himself. And this is not about men or women. This is about humanity. The word people or mankind is the word anthropos in Greek. It, it means humanity. Verse 25, read with, read with me. Jesus did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was on each person. Now, uh, what does this mean? What's going on here? Jesus is telling us something very important about ourselves. And here's my theory. My theory is informed by reading lots of commentaries and by knowing the conversation that's going to happen next with the Nicodemus, but that doesn't mean I'm right. So just here's my theory. Ready? Here we go. I think what Jesus is getting at here is his understanding of human beings and that you and I are creatures bound by time. Time is a beautiful thing. It allows us to experience our life one moment at a time. It would be quite chaotic if every event in our life happened all at once. Right? That would be terrifying. So we're grateful that all of the good and the hard and the bad and the wonderful and the beautiful and the boring, they all happen in moments. Here's the thing about that. I believe in Jesus right now with all of the parts of my heart that I am aware of. You and I are the same in that sense if you call yourself a Christian. But all Christians also experience this reality that we discover that there are still parts of our heart hell-bent on going our own way. Can you relate with me? Now, everybody knows that about you, even if you're not willing to admit it. So just, can you relate with me? Yes. Okay, good. So I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, and yet I find myself choosing sin. And sin is a symptom of me not trusting God. So I've dedicated my life to learning how our spirit gets healed. And so I'll engage in that process. I'll say, God, what's going on in my heart? Why am I not trusting you and maybe it's a lie I need to renounce maybe it's someone I need to forgive maybe it's a, grie a, a loss that I need to grieve so I do that work and then guess what I do that work and I experience healing and God is there and he's present and it's awesome and, and that sin it goes away because I've been healed and it's awesome and I'm like praise God and then like a week later or a month later or like an hour later <laughs> Something else comes up. Can, can you relate with me? Like, what's going on there? I just, and it's not the same thing. It's a new thing that has come up. And here's, here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Jesus knows the truth about our hearts, that we deal with one thing at a time, that we're creatures bound by time, and thus the Christian life, listen now, thus the Christian life is not one prayer. It's not, it's not the, I went to camp and invited Jesus into my heart and now I'm all good. That's not Christianity. That's a myth. 
The Christian life is daily prayer with God. Yes, it has a starting point, and that starting point is essential. And then that starting point is a road, it's an opening, it's a path in which th that conversation continues every single day. So we experience the profound victory over death and sin that God has given us. We're loved more than we could ever hope. And then at the same time, subjectively, we're experiencing that yet again, another issue is popping up, and that's that reality that we're more broken than we want to admit. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, where you and I get in trouble is this, if we deny that that actually happens. Where you and I get in trouble is that when we say, oh, no, God, I'm good. I prayed my prayer. I'm fine. I'm all prayed up. And, uh, and that's why Jesus doesn't trust himself to these particular people at this particular time. They're more interested in his miracles than they are engaged in a trusting relationship with him. Now, it, it, it's no use to pretend that you finally made it, that you're fine, that you have no issues, um, as though you could hide your heart from God. It's like the drunk who finally relents to his wife praying for him, and then he has the absurd vanity of saying this to his wife, um, don't tell God I'm drunk, tell him I'm sick. <laughs> Doesn't work that way like God knows your heart like God knows your great beauty and your great worth and he also knows your selfishness and the little lies that you entertain and your sin and you're still his you're still his beloved if you're the person who's blown it because of an addiction or an affair or a financial collapse or that one horrible decision that feels like it ruined your life you're still his. If you're the person like Peter who works really hard at being right and, and yet you have a really hard time admitting that you're angry that you have to be saddled with that impossible job description, you're still his. If your life is full of rules but your heart is empty of gratitude and at the mention of Jesus, you're not moved to tears. You just feel bad because you feel like you're not enough. You're still his. And God's desire is to give you a brand new everlasting life inside of you that would well up and bring life over and over and over and over again. That's his heart. That's his desire. That's his will for you. Do you want to know how that works? Okay. Let's read together. Jesus is going to teach us how. Verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform the signs you are doing if God is not with him. So Nicodemus, who is this guy? He's a pastor to pastors. He's a big cheese. Um, you need to remember that when you're reading this passage. Nicodemus has a doctorate. He's, he's a, a, a pastor in a big city. So that means he's, a, he's, a really, he's really successful, right? Um, it, and also he's part of the Jewish ruling council, which means he's like 
the senior pastor of a megachurch and also a state senator. <laughs> so Nicodemus knows what he's talking about, okay? Nicodemus is not just some guy, okay? And Nicodemus is wondering, look, man, there's this rabbi, there's this kind of this country bumpkin pastor named Jesus. Like, how many outfits does Jesus have? One. Kind of has a funny accent from Galilee. That's how everybody knew that Peter and his disciples were from Galilee and Jesus was raised there. So I don't know if it was, if he's from Boston or if he's, maybe he's from Georgia or from Alabama where it's real hot and they talk real slow. Maybe he's from California, from the valley. We don't know. <laughs> like, but whatever it is, like Nicodemus, he's wondering, like, how does this guy know how to heal all these people? Maybe, maybe, I mean, like, he looks at all of his disciples, and all of Jesus' disciples are eighth grade dropouts. I mean, you went to school as a Jew up until the eighth grade, and if you were smart enough to keep on pursuing rabbinical studies, then you would go to school. Otherwise, you went and worked at its trade. So every single one of Jesus' disciples are junior high dropouts. Right? So this is, this is the guy that Nicodemus is witnessing. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. This guy, he, he doesn't seem educated. He's poor. He's from the sticks, and yet he can do miracles. What's going on here? Maybe Jesus has this special prayer. Maybe he's figured out some secret. So Nicodemus is going to ask Jesus how, he's going to ask him this question, how can you do this? How can this be? He's going to ask that question over and over and over again in this passage. So Nicodemus first says, look, no one can perform the signs you're doing if God is not with him. Nicodemus makes a statement, and here's Jesus' obvious answer, of course. Verse 3, very truly, I tell you, very truly is um, verily, verily. It's the phrase that you would use if you were teaching a child. So first of all, Nicodemus is like, wait, what? So Jesus is like, now pay attention, y'all. And then, and he says, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's an odd response. Nicodemus has just said, Rabbi, you're obviously from God. And then Jesus kind of changes the subject a little bit. But Nicodemus is interested. He leans in. He's listening. Because Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, this arena in which God can do miracles and raise the dead and give sight to the blind. And Nicodemus is interested in that arena. But then Nicodemus is kind of wondering, born again, like... Maybe they didn't have that class when Jesus was going to school in Galilee. Did they teach him about the birds and the bees? Like, I don't know. Like, what does this mean? That's kind of weird. So here's, here's what I think most of us can relate with Nicodemus. Most of us think that the solution to a better life means that you buy something or learn something or work at something or kind of bolt on something to your existing life that will hopefully improve your life. And that's mostly true, right? If you work hard and you get promoted and you make more money, 
That's good. Amen? And the money really does help. If you take the risk and tell her that you love her, maybe she'll marry you. And, and it works out better for you, I know. If you say, I don't want to be this size anymore, and you say, I want to eat better, and I want to get stronger, and I want to feel better, and you actually do those steps, you'll feel better in your own skin, and that really helps, amen? Because we're all trying to live a good life, and these are all good goals, but you don't need God to do any of those things. You can just buckle down and learn or work or take, have the courage to ask. None of those require God. That's just you raising the bar of excellence in your life. Nicodemus thinks, well, maybe the spiritual life works the same way. I'll just find out the technique or I'll just work a little bit harder or I'll just find out what that perfect prayer looks like and then I'll be able to do what Jesus is doing because I want that good life. And that's what we are tempted to do as well. We say, man, you know what? I want my fear to go away. I, I want... I want the way that I'm using my sexuality to change and I feel stuck in it and I, I want that to change but I don't know how. Uh, I can't seem to forgive this person who's hurt me. I can't get over what's been done to me and I, I want that to change. I have this grief that I'm wrestling with that I can't quite get my arms around but God, like I want that to change. How do I do that? And so what's our strategy? We take the lessons that we've learned in life and we just sort of work harder or sprinkle a little faith or show up to church on Sunday or bolt on, you know, like a Bible study and we hope that that will change our life. We take our existing life and we just add a little Jesus to it and then that'll make it better, right? And what Jesus is saying is, no. Actually, you need a brand new life. You need to be born again. When I was 15 years old, I woke up in the morning. My brother and I, since the age of seven, have always done the exact same thing growing up in our household together. We're Irish twins at 11 and a half months apart and we would get the cereal out of the cupboard and we would pour the cereal in the bowl without talking to each other. Wake up at the exact same time and we would eat the cereal and we would read the comics. And I would read the back first and he would read the front first because it was on two different pages and then we'd switch and we'd be done with our cereal bowls. We'd rinse the cereal bowls out, put it in the dishwasher and that was how I grew up for f 17 years, right? In, with that rhythm. Well, in high school, my brother took a, a band class and so he was always get up early in the morning and, and so for six months, we didn't have that same rhythm and I kind of missed it. One morning I woke up and I went out into the, the kitchen and my brother was already in his bedroom getting dressed and I looked in the, in, in the kitchen sink and there was a full bowl, a full bowl of cornflakes um, and, and all of the cornflakes in the milk were in the sink, like a full bowl. He just dumped the whole full bowl of cereal and milk into the sink. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I opened up the refrigerator door and there is my dad's buttermilk. And written in Sharpie on the buttermilk container says, this is not milk. 
and then I looked at the sink, and I looked at the buttermilk, and I looked at the sink, and I said, I know what happened to my brother this morning. <laughs> so like my brother couldn't take a milk bowl or a cereal bowl full of cereal and buttermilk and somehow make it better. Picking up what I'm putting down? He needed to start over. He needed a new bowl of cereal. So how in the world do we get a new bowl of cereal? How do we be born again? Nicodemus has the same question. Verse 4, how can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asks. Here he kind of throws in some biology to ask a question. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Right, Jesus? Like, we're not talking about that, are we? And, and, and Jesus responds. He's like, okay, sweetheart. So again, verily, verily, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, so pedantic, so, which means you're, teaching, you're talking to that person as though they're a child. Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. So flesh give birth to flesh, meaning if you work really hard and you just try and bolt on things to your life and improve yourself by yourself, that's going to give birth to the same thing over and over again. Meaning that if you try and change your own heart and your own soul by your own efforts, then that task will never end. But spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind, in the Greek, the word wind is the same word as spirit. And the wind, the spirit, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Nicodemus at this point is pulling his hair out and going, how can this be? How can this be? I, 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 no one can do that. Like, no one can... I don't even know what you're talking about, Jesus. How does this work? How can I do this? And, and Nicodemus' issue is that he can only see a world in which he works. He can't see a world in which God works. I mean, God in the flesh is sitting right across from him, smiling at him, and Nicodemus doesn't understand. So what is Jesus saying? That if you can't enter the kingdom or you can't see the kingdom or understand the kingdom or even participate in the kingdom unless you're born of the water, what is that water? Well, water is baptism. Water is you saying, God, I, I can't fix me. I'm done. That's what you do when you get baptized. You walk into the water and then someone holds you under that place of where you can't breathe, where you're dying in a pile, where if you stay there, you'll be dead. And then someone else lifts you out of it into a brand new life. Baptism is a symbol. It's a, it's a way of, it's an expression. It's a, it's a way of understanding that by myself, I'm under the water and I need God to raise me. It's this prayer. Ready? This is a crazy prayer, but this is the prayer of baptism. I'm the maniac trying to manage everyone else while I'm out of control. 
I'm the newly minted plumber who stares at Niagara Falls and declares, I can fix that. <laughs> God, I'm trying to do your job and it's not working. Only you, Holy Spirit, can make my spirit alive. Help me, raise me, give me new life. I'm finished without you. You want to pray that prayer? I'm the maniac trying to manage everyone else while I'm out of control. I'm the newly minted plumber who stares at Niagara Falls and declares, I can fix that. God, I'm trying to do your job and it's not working. Only you, Holy Spirit, can make my spirit alive. Help me, raise me, give me new life. I'm finished without you. Only the Holy Spirit brings your life brings you life, and, and Jesus saying, look, when you're finally at this place where you're ready to give up, that's when the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, fully God, will raise you to life. Because the Holy Spirit is responsible for birthing in you a brand new life with a new heart and a new mind and new instincts and a new desire to listen and trust and love God and please I'm going to gently yell at you. This is not your job. It's not the fruit of Andy. The fruit of Andy isn't love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the... Amen? Someone got a text from Jesus saying, hey, pay attention, That's, that one was for you. The Holy Spirit's like the wind. Like I can see when the Holy Spirit works, but I can't manage and control the Holy Spirit. I'm not in charge. I can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. I can't make the Holy Spirit do what I want the Holy Spirit to do on my timetable, in my way, according to my will and plan. Dang it! Isn't that great news? Well, maybe not. Maybe you're like Nicodemus. And I have a lot of compassion for Nicodemus because I was a pastor... And I didn't get any of this as well. I was trying my hardest to be a Christian by my own power and God gave me a gift and that gift was misery. To help me see I can't fix me. So let me ask you a question. Do you see what Nicodemus is missing? Are you understanding what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that you... To be born again requires you to give up and at the same time to trust that the Holy Spirit will raise you. Are you picking up what Jesus is putting down? Yeah? Okay, read with me, verse 10. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you're, you're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Like if your teacher is lost, you're in serious trouble. Nicodemus is like the CNN photographer who got the assignment two years ago to photograph all the wildfires on Sepulveda Boulevard and, you know, like the 405. And he goes, drives to the Van Nuys Airport and the photographer spotted his plane and hopped in and said to the pilot, let's go. So the Pilot took off and CNN says, take me closer to the fires. And the pilot said, well, why? And CNN photographer says, like, what do you mean, why? To see the wildfires, of course. And so the pilot starts going to the wildfires. And so the pilot asks again, so why are we going there? 
and irritated, the photographer looks, it's like, it's like well, I can take pictures of the fire. And so they're going to the fires and the CNN photographer says, no, no, turn around here closer. And the pilot says, why, like, why, I don't get it. Why do you want to take pictures of the fires? And this, the CNN photographer just explodes and he goes, listen, my name is Jack. I work for CNN. My job is to take pictures of the wildfires. That's why we're here. And the pilot just kind of takes a long breath and pause. And he says to the CNN guy, so what you're telling me is you're not my instructor. That's lost. That's lost. Like when you think you know what God is all about and how this spiritual life works, and you're utterly wrong, you're lost. Dale Bruner in his commentary on John sums up our dilemma and Nicodemus' dilemma perfectly. He writes this, if we humans do not first of all believe our deep human need, how will we ever seek or believe any deep divine provision? In the older theological language, if we do not believe the law of God that convicts us of our sin and of our need for salvation, how will we ever seek or be ready to believe the gospel that tells us of the great divine provision for our salvation, pardon, and renewal? So Jesus is, try, is trying to help Nicodemus. He's trying to help a church person understand that that one-time prayer that they made isn't enough that your connection with God is this ongoing prayer. God, I need you. God, I need you. I'm done without you. I can't do it without you. You're the breath in my lungs. See, there it is again. <laughs> that one was for you, right? God, I need you. I love how the Holy Spirit is working in me. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, again, for the third time, next verse, okay, sweetie, are you ready? <laughs> Look, we speak of what we know, like what we've been through, and we testify of what we've seen, what we comprehend or understand, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And what's great about Jesus is that he's not going to just like drop Nicodemus on his butt and say, see, you don't get it. I'm out of here. Done. Boom. Gone. He's actually going to tell Nicodemus the heavenly things that Nicodemus wants to know. So are you ready? Here it is. Jesus is going to pull back the curtain and reveal exactly how it is that we can experience this never-ending, un unbelievable life of being close with God. Are you ready? This is so cool. If you're asleep, shake your shoulders. Come on. Flex your abs. Sit up straight. Let's go. Here it is. This is it. This is why you came to church. Here we go. Verse 13. Read with me. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man.
But, you know, Jesus is saying, look, I've been to heaven. Kind of know what I'm talking about. You ready? <laughs> so the first thing that Jesus is going to do, is he's going to give Nicodemus an analogy that Nicodemus understands. So he picks an example from the Old Testament. Verse 14. Read with me. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, I know that you have the book of Numbers memorized, but let me just, like, remind you in case you don't, right? So there's this great moment. Israel cries out to God for God to save them so that they can win a battle. They win the battle, and then right afterwards, Israel goes, ah, God, whatever, we did it on our own power. And so then poisonous snakes erupt out of the ground and everybody starts getting bitten by these poisonous snakes and they're falling on the ground writhing and freaking out and they're saying Moses help us and Moses is like I can't help you but I can pray to the God who can help you who just did help you win that battle and they say pray for us and so God tells Moses I want you to take the staff that you used to part the Red Sea and I want you to put two snakes out of it made out of bronze and it looks like this. It's what we call the caduceus. It's the symbol for all medical healers today. It comes from the book of Numbers. And when everybody who's on the ground writhing in pain looks at the staff, God will heal them. And so that's exactly what happens. And the message is really, really simple. Repeat after me these three words. Only God saves. Do say it again. Only God saves. Good job. So here's the idea. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, do you want to be saved? Do you want to experience new life? Do you want to experience restoration? Then here's the plan. God will have the Son of Man lifted up in the exact same way, and when you look upon him, you too will be healed and not die from the poison that's infecting your life. But if Nicodemus doesn't get the biblical reference, Jesus wants to be crystal, crystal clear. And so he says this verse, which you've heard a thousand times before, but now you finally understand the context. For God, wait, wait, wait. Let me read it for you. For God so loved this world, for God so loved you. That he gave you his one and only son. That if you look to him, if you believe him, you won't die. But you'll have life everlasting, abundant, eternal life. God didn't come into this world to condemn you came into this world to save you. And he does it by sending his son Jesus that you might look to him and be saved. We look upon Jesus who was hoisted up on that cross and there we find our substitute. 
for our sin. We are rebels in need of a redeemer and when we look upon Jesus and trust him, we're forgiven. And then we're no longer rebels. We're now adopted as beloved sons and daughters of the king. We're captives in need of a victor and when we look upon Jesus, we're set free. We're debtors in need of a savior and a deliverer. And when we look upon Jesus, all our debts are forgiven and all our sin is washed away. We're the arrogant ones trying to make ourselves better and when we look upon Jesus, we discover that he's already lived the perfect life for us and that he grants to us his right standing, his righteousness is a gift. When we look upon Jesus and trust him to be our savior, we are saved. And this is not a one-time decision. This is not a one-time prayer. It's a life of prayer. And so you have a decision to make right now. Do you want Jesus to save that part of your heart that has been bubbling up this last week, this last month, this morning? The Holy Spirit's been talking to you about this one particular issue do you want God to heal that one particular issue? Will you take the risk with me right now to pray? It's a decision I'm asking you to make. Because Nicodemus and Jesus will keep on talking. We won't read the verses today, but Jesus is really clear with Nicodemus. Look, if you want to stay in your death, God will allow you to stay in your death and you'll experience that death and it'll be awful. But if you come to me, the son, I will give you life. And so the decision that you get to make right now is that. So let's pray. Can I pray for you? And then we'll sing together, kind of seal the whole thing. That be all right? Yes. Oh, Holy Spirit. We're done. I'm done. I can't make myself better. I can't give myself the peace that I so desperately need. I can't fix me. I try to take the lessons I've learned from this life and apply them to my spirit and it just doesn't work. And so I lay my spirit down before your feet and I ask you, Holy Spirit, Revive me. Forgive me. I've doubted you. I've gone my own way. I've taken the places of my deep wounding and I've used them as, a, as an indictment against you. And it's not working. God... Forgive me. Redeem me. I invite you in once again. I give you this person I'm so concerned about. I give you this situation that I can't do anything to change, but it fills me with such fear and frustration and hurt. 
I give you my body and what's going to happen next as I face what the doctors have to say. I give you my finances. I give you my marriage and my kids and my grandkids. I give you the desire that I have to find someone who will love me. Lord, I surrender. I lay it all down. Only you can save me, Jesus. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in my lungs. Like it's, it's you, Holy Spirit, that are allowing me to breathe right now. You have not left me. I am not alone. And as I sing these words and I'm in your presence, Holy Spirit, do in our hearts what we cannot do.